Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I'm here, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, today let's talk about the Ark of the Covenant, um, one of the two most famous biblical objects for sure. Uh, Ark of the Covenant, and the second probably be the Holy Grail, right? The cup that Jesus yes. raises up at the Last Supper. Um, also, you know, incidentally, major plot points in Indiana Jones movies. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Can you? They're in the Bible, though, too. Can you believe they made a book out of the movie? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but let's talk about the Ark of the Covenant. You know, I've been reading through the Old Testament again, so um, I've been, uh, you know, looking over the text again. And uh, this whole, this Ark of the Covenant, it, it's funny for a few reasons, um, you know, because first of all, we'll get into this later, but just to kind of prime the pump here. Um, it's funny because, you know, Israel, Israel isn't really into, you know, worshiping or, or having things kind of being at the center of their worship, you know, or something like that. God, it's very clear from the beginning that God's like, I'm not bound by any, any physical thing in creation. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant has this strong correlation with God's presence at the same time. Um, also, you know, it's, it's something that we as Christians, you know, it's a symbol we continue to hold in high regard. Um, so what profit does it do to, you know, know about, read about this, this time, this period where, uh, there was this extremely special artifact, the Ark of the Covenant that was really at the center of, uh, you know, Israel's, uh, cultic life. So, um, let, let, let's, let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Um, but first of all, let's, let's, let's break it down. What exactly is the Ark of the Covenant? What are the terms that are used to describe it? And yeah, just, just give us, give us, give us what it is and we'll start out. Well, that's sort of interesting because a lot of people say the Ark of the Covenant don't realize that actually there are three different terms. The only thing common to them is the word Ark. Probably the oldest term is that we see in Exodus when it's described in the book of Exodus, where we describe constructing it, it's described as the Ark of the Testimony. Hmm. The Ark of the Testimony. And then what we find is in Deuteronomy and Joshua, it becomes Ark of the Covenant. And then later on, when we refer back to it, and for example, in Samuel and Chronicles and the history books, they call it the Ark of God. Yeah, yeah. So the only thing in common is the word that we use in, in Hebrew, Aron, means chest. You know, like a, you know, like a chest of, that you keep stuff in. So it's simply a chest. It could be called the, the, the Ark or the Chest of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. But all three refer to the same thing. And its function was, you know, the word Shekinah in, in Hebrew has the idea of God's dwelling or presence among his people. The special okay. evidence of how he dwells among his people. And that was its function. It was sort of a symbolic representation. Uh, sort of like a sacramental sign of, you know, God's presence, you know, uh, you know, among his people. And like you say, it's the only man-made object venerated by Jews. And it's funny, in the Talmud, we actually told, why would God do that? Because it's not at all typical. Yeah. And we have two different schools of thought in the Talmud. Some rabbis say it was concession to human weakness after the golden calf. 
Oh, okay. If the, we had no localization. There needed some sort of localization, but not having images. So, so it's a little bit like the tradition of, um, you know, giving Israel a king like the other nations. It's like, right. you know, well, we weren't really supposed to do this in the first place, but yeah, I'll concede to the fact that you, you, you might, this, this might help you out. Yeah. Right. And the other is simply a, a means of continuous revelation. You know, the God shows this. This is the place. Remember, we talk about the tent of meeting. This is where Moses could meet God, bring mm, his questions mm-hmm. before God, of a place to meet God, of continuous revelation. But Jews themselves in the Talmud were very aware of the fact that this was didn't really sit, seem to fit in, was a very, very special thing. But it fundamentally showed God is present among his people. Great. Well, let's talk about what the thing looks like. There's, uh, we actually have a pretty good idea from the Old Testament, right? But, but just to give it an, an overview... Uh, maybe for, for some people who, for some listeners who, who, who haven't read the text, um, this is basically kind of like a treasure chest on poles, right? You've got it. Uh, by the way, in the, what we have is we have the, the cubit is the standard measure. Uh, cubit is about 18 inches typically because it's basically between your elbow and the, your, your, your longest finger. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and yeah. saying that's just on average, that's about eighteen about 18 inches is typically what we say. And so what this box is, is basically... It, it's it's longer, you know, it's basically um, three foot, six inches long. Okay. Okay, yeah. it's a little more than a yard long. However, it's two feet deep uh, and two feet tall. All right. So All each right. of the ends is a perfect square. So it's, you know, two feet deep, two feet tall, but it's, you know, a little more than a yard long. I was like, yeah, no, this is helpful for me because I, I'm mathematically challenged. So I feel like I read over these things and I, I have a hard time putting the picture together in my mind. So, yeah, maybe we, we can do that as we go along. So we got this box. Yeah, sort of like the surface area of my desk, frankly, in some ways. I look at that. You know, about, yeah, you know, yeah. you know it's, uh, that's what it looks. It was about the size. Then you just put up two feet. Mm-hmm. It was made out of acacia wood. Now, something we need to know about these things. Why acacia wood? Acacia wood has some properties that will be very important to its symbolism. It's highly water resistant and naturally antibacterial. Those are facts. It's naturally antibacterial. You know, you just don't have the, so it really lasts. It really resists water and being eaten away by stuff. It's antibacterial. And what this was is this, this, the, everything was built out of acacia wood, but it was all gold plated inside and out. Hmm. So you had these boards and things that are completely covered with gold, but it's acacia wood. So inside there's no chance if water got in or something, it's not going to rot. It's water resistance and it um, and it's antibacterial. Okay, got it. So this thing need was built to last, basically. Built to last. Yeah, right. You know, buy buy nice or buy it twice, right? So right, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and also another thing we have is the how do you move it? And so they did put four gold rings down at each one of the corners, the bottom corner of each. You had the four gold rings, and they put these poles in it. Now the poles were also made out of these, um, uh, you know, were, were, were made out of like acacia wood, you know, that was covered in gold. And they were never taken out, by the way. You're always ready to go. Hmm. When, you, when you got to the place, you didn't take out the poles. The poles always stayed in. Interesting. Okay. Matter of fact, yeah. in the Book of Chronicles, later on they tell us you could see them from outside. But they didn't yeah. fit, you know, yeah. you could see them, see them from outside. Now, what's really interesting with this, though, is the top. It had this special top, a cover. So, you know, the bottom's perfectly flat, the sides are perfectly flat, but the top has a special cupboard, which is called a kaporet. And in Hebrew, this is interesting. It'll explain how the translations are different. Is it can mean to cover something, like physically cover something, but it also can mean like to cover sin. Propitiation. You ever heard like the like the mercy seat, that kind uh-huh. of thing? 
The reason they call it that, because the Hebrew word has nothing to do with seat, is the Bible talks about this is God would basically, would speak from between the cherubim. So you have this top, and the top has these two angels facing each other, and their wings touch. Mm. And those wings form like a seat. Okay, so the two angels holding it like they're forming a seat with their wings, you know, between them. And that's called the mercy seat uh, in a lot of translations. They're trying to say that the word here has the sense of somehow something connected with sin. Even It's not just a plain cover. It somehow has the, the idea of somehow covering sin. And so they, that's why it's common to go the propitiatory is what it's called, like in, like in, uh, in propitiatoire in French, you know, it's, you know, meaning something that covers up, you know, um, yeah. propiti- propiti- propitiates God. And it's made out of pure gold. Everything else is, uh, it tells you something about here's like God's throne, is everything else is is uh, plated gold, but this is actually pure gold. And of course, it's, it's, uh, it's again, you're going to have, it's basically um, uh, a, a yard by two feet. And then they have these, these two cherubim sitting on top looking at each other. Okay. So the, the mercy seats is it it is the seat with the cherubim covering it that little yeah it's a little pure gold kind of statuette sort of thing on the top yeah, yeah. one on each side uh it's interesting because later on uh, it certainly seems in john's gospel we talk about an angel at the at the at the foot and at the head of the sepulcher it's like mm. the angels you know there at the at the mercy oh, seat oh wow wow yeah oh that's really really cool this box that contained the lord and there they are you know the, yeah yeah the angels yeah. on either end so we said, you know, this is a, this is a chest. So what's inside? What's inside of it? Well, if you're wondering, people, if you need an attic, it's sort of. <laughs> this is why they keep the really, really important things. Okay, so we're actually given a, li- a list of things in Hebrews nine four. It says the Ark of the Covenant, uh, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna. Remember the, the manna we had in the desert? Mm-hmm. So they wanted as a witness to future generations that this is going to be preserved. We're going to actually put here, you can see for yourself this is real. There's actually going to be a, an urn, a golden urn that has the manna. And at one time there's a challenge over how come Aaron is priest? And so God shows his choice of Aaron by all the elders put their staves in and his staff buds to show that he's the true priest. Right. Right. So they put that into the ark as a permanent witness to Aaron being the Aaron's line being the true priests. And then, of course, the most important thing is the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, we think, okay, um, I get the Ten Commandments, but which ones? There are two sets of Ten Commandments. There was the one that was broken, that Moses broke on the way down from the mountain. And there were the others that were intact. We tend to assume that they're just the intact ones. Hmm. But actually, in in the Talmud, there's a Jewish tradition that they kept both. You don't yeah, throw away yeah. something God's written, even if you broke it. Okay. <laughs> you don't throw it away. So their view is that they have both the broken and the unbroken, but some people didn't think they should be together. So actually, a minority view among the rabbis was there were actually two um, Arks of the Covenant, one for the broken pieces and one for everything else. Oh, fascinating. I fascinating. am not promoting that. I don't think there's any... Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but but I just want you to be aware of that. But, you know, in the Jewish tradition, it's not just the unbroken. Uh, yeah. But we tend to look upon it as just the unbroken. So it seems to have some something of each of kind of the essential pillars of, you know, Jewish, uh, the Jewish institutions, right? You've got the, the priesthood, you know, the staff, mm-hmm. the law, the tablets of the covenant. And then I, I, I you know, 
God's God's provision underlying it all with the with right the, the Exodus the great yeah, the witness Exodus, of yeah. the Exodus the okay. per, the witness of the Exodus yeah got the it. greatest moment in Jewish history yeah so and, and with the poles right you know this is not a permanent installation this is a traveling traveling exhibit right so we're yeah it's, uh, we're moving around with this thing um, so so let's talk about what the what the use of the Ark of the Covenant was throughout throughout um, Israel's history. Okay, well, it starts out, it's um, very practical terms. It would tell people when to when to stop or start during the Exodus. Remember we said that it was, you know, the cloud would form there, and this was the basis of whether they should stay or go. It depended when the, the cloud left or stayed, and sometimes it could be for a long time, sometimes it could be a short period of time. Mm-hmm. It's used to actually divide the waters of the Jordan. Remember when Joshua was going into the land, you know, it's when they come, the priests come with the ark in their feet, then suddenly the waters part. You know, we have this. It accompanied uh, the Israelites into the Battle of Jericho. Okay. So we have, uh, we have that. And, um, and it has a, a, a place in divine revelation. God, we're told in Numbers 789, spoke from between the cherubim. You know, that's where he spoke to Moses from between, you know, the cherubim. Okay. Okay. So those are use, but I've got to tell you, you had to really take, as far as that's what it was used for. You had to take real care, though. I mean, this was symbolized God, and God was not to be trifled with. We have uh, Nadab and Abihu, who are the sons of uh, sons of Aaron. Yeah, and yeah. they got the eye of take of just offering fire on their own, unholy fires, it's described, and um, they were, um, you know, fire broke out at them, you know. So they uh, sure, sure. So we yeah, had, they didn't end up well. <laughs> no, it did not turn out well. Okay, uh, we also had the capture by the Philistines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's that great story. It's a really great story because uh, the children of Israel take uh, take the ark. They they don't bother asking God about it. They don't consult the Lord or anything. They just take it into battle, and the Philistines actually capture it. But they wish they hadn't. Yeah. That's uh, right. That's <laughs> terrible right. things happen. You know, terrible yeah. things happen, and finally they just send it on a cart to send it back. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. You keep this yeah. for your very own. Right. Right. Okay. And we're told the numbers, the priests are told, make sure don't look at it. You know, that this is, um, so this is what's happening when we're still out there on the road. Mm-hmm. But later on, as far as usage, later on, once there is a temple, it's never moved at all. It stays there permanently. And it, we only actually see it once a year. The high priest alone goes behind the curtain in the temple. Yeah. We've got the inner, the inner, there's an inner square sanctuary. And that's divided into two parts. You know, one of the Holy of Holies, which is behind a second a curtain, and then all the rest of it out front. And it's behind that curtain only the high priest can go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. Okay, and matter of fact, he's told, be very careful when you do that too, to take incense with you so you can't actually see the mercy seat. Cover it, with, you know, the idea is hmm. cover it with um, uh, the smoke of the incense. Yeah. So this is maybe, you know, mobile, but not an approachable thing not 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 without special care being taken well that's a a theme we talk about fear of the lord is god is not to be trifled with god loves us he loves his people but he is not to be trifled with you know he is god is both imminent but transcendent yeah yeah and a constant thing with israel is they have to remember both he is imminent he really cares Mm -hmm. but he is not to be taken like again with the fight with the philistines where oh we'll just take this with to win uh no
So, you know, as we've talked about before, that the Old Testament um, doesn't just stand on its own, that it's really pointing toward what God is going to accomplish in Christ. So, and, and about how the, you know, the, the New Testament writers and the early church fathers as well really saw um, these types, these uh, images of Christ in the Old Testament. So, I, you know, I wonder, does the Ark of the Covenant, uh, do, do they have anything to say about, about what that might say about Christ, or do they just skip over it? Oh, very much so. If, think about <laughs> it. If the Ark is supposed to represent the presence of God, yeah. the ultimate presence is the incarnation, Jesus, you know, the incarnation of God. So everything that's in the Ark is seen as symbolic of Christ. For example, the Christian tradition is that we have the unbroken tablets. He's the only one who perfectly fulfills the law. Hmm. So Christ is not only the lawgiver, but is the one, the new Moses, but he's the one who perfectly fulfills the law. With him, the tablets are unbroken. The manna, Jesus says in John that he is the true bread from heaven. You know, the manna is a foreshadowing. So you know, he is the true bread. He who eats this bread will live forever. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness. They died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Mm-hmm. Then we have Aaron's staff. Well, Christ is the true priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, yeah. And his priesthood, notice it's a staff. And a staff is wood, the cross. Hmm. You know, so yeah. basically, Ed, not only is he a priest, but his priesthood is exercised on the cross. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Then we have even have the acacia wood. The acacia wood was famous for being incorruptible. You know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't go bad because it resisted um, it resisted bacteria and it wasn't subject to um, getting you know with wet, uh, dampness. And so the idea was: remember, Christ is truly God and truly man, but his humanity was incorruptible. You know, he'd be buried, but he wouldn't he wouldn't decompose. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he would not give his his uh, you know to suffer corruption. So acacia wood, the idea of Christ's divinity and humanity. You know, his humanity, an incorruptible humanity covered by the gold of divinity. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And then we have the cherubim at each end as a witness, you know, to him, like we see at, 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 Christ's, um, at, at Christ's resurrection. So those are traditional understanding of this is a sign of the um, uh, sign of Christ, who is the true God with us. You know, he yeah. is God with us. One of the reasons we don't need a temple is because Christ is that temple. He's the living presence of God with his people. Now, right now, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right, and it really fits, right? Because it's, he's, he's, on, he's on the move, right? He's, he's yes. moving around with his people. He's in the midst of his people. And he's, he's on the move with them. You know, he's not, it's not just one mountain or another, um, but, but with his people in spirit and truth, yeah. So let's talk about the ark itself. Um, I mean, an artifact this important uh, it, I, I, I guess I sympathize a little bit with the uh, lost Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, you know, script writers, because you kind of want to know, you know, what happened to this thing? You know, where is it? How did it how did it end up? And, and why don't we have it today? Well, let's tell what we know. First of all, when it comes out of the desert, what do you do once you get to the promised land? Where do you go? Uh, we don't have Jerusalem yet. Yebus, you know, Yebus. And so what we have is they park it in Shiloh. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so to speak, they put it there in Shiloh. It's referred to that way. You know, the Shiloh, Joshua 18. It's there for a long time. It's captured in battle by the Philistines and later returned. It spends 20 years at Kiryat Yerim. Okay. And then David says, you know, I really need to take this to Jerusalem. And then we have that incident. You know, he's taking right. it to Jerusalem and uh, we have um, Uzzah. Uh, you know, it, 
you know, is one of the people carrying it. Yeah, First of all, they're not carrying out. it at all. They're instead of carrying it the way they're supposed to, with proper respect, they put it on a wagon. Well, that's right. And the that's wagon, right. you know, they're not supposed to do that. You know, they're. Um, and so he reaches out, and we have called Parazuza. It means literally in Hebrew, the breaking out. You know, the you know, like. Yeah, yeah. And David gets sort of upset about this. Well, that's how you're going to act. So he basically says, I'm not going to take you to Jerusalem then. <laughs> so he, um, he uh, really has, it's really sort of, um, uh, sort of pouting. He puts it with Obed, Obed-Edom's house. Okay. He's a guy who lives yeah. along. So will you take care of this? And of course, Obed-Edom prospers. And so three <laughs> months later, he now wants the Ark again. Suddenly he didn't right. want it. Now he wants it. Of course. So, so, so it's with the, it's, it's ends up in a private house. It's a private house. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it has different effects based on who's keeping it and God's will. Right. Well, now David wants it. And so he brings it into, uh, uh, the new what Yerushalayim, so, the new Jebusite city. Well, go figure. I mean, the Philistines keep it and they get tumors. Obed Edom keeps it and he <laughs> prospers. So, yeah, yeah. So that that uh, God's gonna God is gonna put that ark where He wants it. And it yeah. comes to Mount Moriah, uh, which is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, traditionally mm. the place where Abraham uh, sacrificed Isaac or was asked to sacrifice Isaac. That's the spot, is the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's where it's called Mount Moriah. And that's where it ended up. Um, now, the problem then became is uh, as David gets the idea of, you know, this is, this is great. We were used to be on the road. Now we live here, and I'm living in a beautiful house, and everybody lives in these houses. Should God still be living in a tent as he, he looks at it? Mm-hmm. And the Lord tells him, have I ever complained about where I live? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he said, no, just to get it clear here, you, uh, he said, I'm the one who builds the house for you. We know all that. But he actually has Solomon build it. He said, I don't want David to do it. I want Solomon to build it. So about Solomon builds a temple, and that's the end of the ark ever going anywhere. Mm-hmm. The ark stays in the Solomon's temple. So what happens from it? It we disappears. It's never mentioned again after the destruction of Solomon's temple with the Babylonians. Mm, yeah. Now, one yeah. of the reasons you say, well, duh, why didn't they take it away? We know they took everything else. Well, actually, we have the list of what they took. Hmm. The Babylonians, um, you know, were great record keepers. Okay. Okay, and they, they kept records. And so we have a detailed list of their booty, but it never mentions, t- including temple vessels and things, but it never mentions the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, and so, an empire an accountant could love, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Matter of fact, uh, you know, I have a son who's an expert. I have a PhD in UK form studies, and he reads all that type of stuff. It's mostly accounting records. Oh, there you go. There you go. The first thing people want to have a permanent record of is money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literature and things come later. The first thing when people can write they want to do is, how much do you owe me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, the, the killer app of written yes. language. Yeah. <laughs> That's what really gets it going. People want written records of financial transactions. Mm-hmm. So in any event, what happens is, there are various um, explanations of what could have happened. Uh, some sources argued that it was hidden by Josiah before the fall of the temple, some Jewish sources. Mm-hmm. One tradition, it was actually hidden in a cave near the Red Sea. The more popular tradition, it was actually buried somewhere on the Temple Mount. Okay, okay, I see. It was buried on the Temple Mount. Now, one of those apocryphal books we talk about, Second Maccabees, mm-hmm. actually says that Jeremiah was asked by God to take it and he buried it at Mount Nebo in a cave at Mount Nebo where Moses was buried. Yeah. Okay. okay. Wow. And then we have the strangest story. People are going to say, wait a second, I thought it was in Ethiopia. No, this is a, it, what happens is 
Remember the story of the Queen of Sheba? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in Ethiopia, they tried to argue that the Queen of Sheba, uh, you know, actually was the, uh, you know, was, was, was from Ethiopia. Uh, yeah, and the yeah, idea that. was that uh, one of the su- souvenirs she brought back from Jerusalem was a son by Solomon. Okay, that she had actually, uh, you know, oh, I see. <laughs> conceived by Solomon. And this is why they claim, uh, traditionally, the, the royal line in Ethiopia claimed Solomonic descent. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see. Okay, some it's kind, of, kind of some tabloid stuff. There. Yeah, and I mean, so, so, sounds sounds likely for, uh, you know, Solomon's track record, but yeah. I, and then what we have is that... Um, so the, the story goes in, among Ethiopian uh, Christians has been, was that what she did is when she left, she, her son, and she stole the ark on the way back. Mm-hmm. I'm not making this up. Okay, they stole okay. the ark on the way back. There's a wonderful Ethiopian restaurant I like eating here in, in Chicago. And they have all these, the, the story of her life, the Queen of Sheba there. Nice, You, you can nice. see her... And Solomon and the baby and the whole the whole thing. Okay. Wow. So supposedly he ended up at a place called Axum, a very famous monastery. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. you would say, well, gee, could we look at it and think of Monty Python, the quest for the Holy Grail? Uh-huh. Could we see it? No. Yeah. no (laughs) no uh actually they used to bring it out to be fair they used to bring it out uh you know periodically but now they don't bring it out anymore okay okay it's there so that's fine maybe yeah that's fine you guys can have it we already got one right (laughs) yeah we've already got one it's very nice (laughs) (laughs) that's very nice Oh well, great. Um, well, this is this is this is so helpful. Um, are any final thoughts on the Ark of the Covenant? Well, that's not the end of the story. Oh, okay, the Ark sorry. does show up again in the Bible. Ah, yes. In the Book of Revelation. There it is. Right. In Revelation eleven nineteen, it says, "Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The Ark of His covenant was seen within His temple." Uh, and it talks about flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So it's, it's basically saying in God's heavenly temple, everything is restored. Mm. You know, the, the, that was just the earthly temple was an image. And of course, the, the ultimate image, you know, the reality of God's presence there is Christ. He's the true, the true ark. Well, thank you so much, Father Stephen. Thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.